evidence of things not seen. That's Hebrews 1.1. So we take what we see and then we filter through what do we know. And we know that in a God who is abounding in goodness and truth is the sovereign God over all things. Long-suffering is not a condition that anyone would hope for, but sometimes the Father asks us to be patient. God was willing to be patient with his people during long periods of rebellion, watching the people he loved ignore and reject him. Not many of us are good at being long-suffering, but today Pastor Daniel will help us to understand how it's possible. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part two of his message entitled, A Restored Covenant. representation of the presence of God, this cloud. Remember there, there was the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night? That was God's visible presence for them when they're in the wilderness. So the cloud comes down and there the name of the Lord is proclaimed. Now, the, the concept of the name of the Lord literally means the nature of the Lord. That's a, it's a Hebraic way of saying the nature. I, I always use this same example. Like, so if you, when you think of somebody, if someone's like, oh, if you say, let's say, um, Pastor Bill Ritchie, right? Nobody says, oh, yeah, P-A-S-T-O-R-B-I-L-L-R-I-T-C-H-I-E, right? You, no, you, you think of Pastor Bill, the person. You think of him in his nice suit, the new slimmer version of Pastor Bill that, that we're proud of him with, you know? You think of the person. You think of him saying, like, good night, and all, all the opportunities, all the, the richieisms, as I like to call them, right? When you ever think of someone's name, you think of their entire nature. You don't think of the letters in their name. So by saying you proclaim the name of the Lord, saying, look, when, when the Lord descended in that cloud, he pro- this is my nature. This is who I am, my essence, and we have these beautiful, this beautiful description of the name of the Lord here, verses 6 and following. Now, I'll be honest with you. I really want to do a series on these names because each name deserves a full treatment. But because we're doing it through the Bible study, I'm going to fly over them. And I admit from the very beginning that I wish I didn't have to do it this way. We can do each name and plumb the depths of what these concepts mean. But notice what it says. It says beautifully, the Lord, the Lord God. Now, notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in most of your translations. That in the, is the way the English translates the personal name of God. Yahweh is most commonly known. Old school, we used to say Jehovah. It's four letters in the Hebrew. A yud, a he, a vav, and a he. Right? That's the person, that's how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. 
Scholars call it the tetragrammaton, which literally means four letters. They wouldn't just say four letters. That's not scholarly enough. So you say tetragrammaton. That was like, ooh, so smart. $60,000 education for a big word. You know, and I'm not knocking scholars. I, listen, I love reading. I love it. But sometimes you can say, look, it's just four letters. That's really what it is. A yodahe of a, and by saying the Lord, the Lord God. Repetition in Hebrew is meant for to accentuate it. It's like if someone said, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. Two oh my goodnesses has more emphasis than one, right? So by saying the Lord, it's saying, I am the covenant making God. That's what it means. Yahweh is the God of the covenant. The God who chooses a people and says, you're going to be mine. And then it gets married to that word God, which is the Hebrew word Elohim. And and rabbis and scholars would tell you that the name Elohim speaks of God in his attribute of justice. The word Elohim is also used for human judges. So by putting the Lord, the Lord God, and saying the God of mercy and covenant and the God of justice. Now, why do I explain this? Because most people want to separate mercy and justice as two polar opposites. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So if you want to say, oh, the God of the Bible is so wrathful and the God of the New Testament is so loving, as if these things are polar opposites. But what's interesting is that the God of mercy and the God of justice is the same God. God equally gives to people what they deserve and doesn't. God, who is hates sin is also the most radically loving God. Now, I realize, I realize that for some of you, like, well, you know, Pastor Neil, that sounds all fine and well, but how is that really possible? And if you were to read, even psychologists talk about the self-actualization pyramid. The self-actualized person, actually, it's called the resolution of dichotomies, where two seemingly opposite things can be together as one. Like God, Jesus is fully God and fully man. How can it be both? Well, it can. They seem opposite, but they're not necessarily And the God of justice and the God of mercy are one God. God gives everybody what they deserve. It's just a matter, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, the judgment you deserve, God gave to Jesus in your place. If you don't want that, then God will give it to you. But the merciful God sent Jesus to the cross, that whoever would receive it. So I love this, the Lord, the Lord God. I mean, it's powerful. God's like, this is who I am. I am the covenant maker. I am the just God. And it's interesting that in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. And if you look at the rules of nature before the fall, it was totally just. I'll just leave that with you. You can go ponder that in your own time if you like those type of things. But notice, the Lord, the Lord God, and then merciful and gracious. Some of your translation says, full of compassion and gracious. So that word merciful means tenderly pitiful, and not pitiful in a negative way, but with compassion, with genuine care and concern. The Lord, the Lord God, is full of compassion. He looks at us in our state and says, if I'm them, I want to take care of them. And gracious, and you know that word gracious means unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor. That's what it means. If you like those kind of acronyms, G-R-A-C-E for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That might be the best definition of grace that you'll find. Because it's one thing to say, listen, God is gracious. He gives unmerited, 
unearned, undeserved favor. But the reason I like God's riches at Christ's expense is because that grace only comes through Jesus. God's unmerited favor only comes through the finished work of Jesus. And so he says, look, I'm the Lord, the Lord God. I'm full of compassion and merciful. I am the gracious God. He's like, I'm giving you what you don't deserve. You guys don't deserve it. I'm going to give it to you anyway. Then he says, long-suffering. That's a better word than patience, I believe, because that's what real patience is. Patience is suffering for a long time. And any of you who've had to be patient today, you know what that's like. And the reason most of us are impatient is because we don't like to suffer at all. So I know I had it going on today. I was coming here to worship practice, and I was going through a coffee drive-through. There's no better learning place about impatience than when you're waiting for your coffee. Right? So you're sitting there, and I was also running a little bit late. I had nothing to do with the folks. They were great, but I'm like, man, I gotta go. I gotta. And then, of course, I get up there, and I just want to chat with everybody. You know, I was like, hey, you know, and this, and Pastor Jason Richie's texting me, where are you? You're supposed to play bass today. And I'm just like, you know. But patience is suffering for a long time. We just use the word patience, but that's really what it means. It means willing to bear with someone for a while. And very few of us do that well. Long-suffering. Long-suffering. Some of your translations have slow to anger. It means the same thing. Because isn't patient, impatience is anger at somebody who's not moving at the right speed or your speed. So long-suffering. Not only that, abounding in goodness and truth. Wow. Do you realize the God of the Bible, the biblical God who we trust, he abounds in goodness and truth. That word abounding, that means overflowing, not like there's just like a little drip of goodness and a little drip of truth. He is overflowing with it. He's got more than any of us can handle, more than we need, exceedingly abundant of both goodness and truthfulness. And truthfulness is not only truthfulness as opposed to being false, but also true as opposed to being genuine, as opposed to having mixture. The God of the Bible overflows with goodness. He is totally good. Now, I know we live in a world like, well, how can a good God let this happen? And I always believe that when you come up with that type of a situation, you say, well, God is abounding in goodness. So even though we live in a broken world, what is God up to right now? That's what faith does. Faith is the substance of what? Things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. That's Hebrews 1.1. So we take what we see and then we filter through what do we know. And we know that in a God who is abounding in goodness and truth is the sovereign God over all things. Notice verse 7. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. I love this. He's merciful and he's forgiving. And I don't know about you, but I need forgiveness. And so do you. And if you read the research from psychologists and sociologists, if you harbor unforgiveness, that breaks your spirit. That's what it does. And the only way to be able to give forgiveness is to first receive forgiveness. 
See, the reason so many of us cannot forgive somebody is because we're not willing to embrace what God has done for us. Jesus tells a parable about this. Jesus says, look, there was this guy, he owed 500 talents, which in that day was a lot of money. And the person he owed said, look, I just totally forgive you. Don't worry about it. And then this guy went to another guy who owed him five talents and threw him in jail. Because if you think about the amount of forgiveness you need from God for all of your transgressions, that pales, that it's so huge that the amount that you need to forgive somebody else is very, very small, no matter how horrendous what they did was. And so in order to truly give forgiveness, we need to receive forgiveness and we need to understand forgiveness. And I realize forgiveness costs, it does. True forgiveness costs somebody something. I like to use the example. Imagine you invited me over your house for your favorite meal. Right? And as I'm leaving, I run over your mailbox. Because that's the kind of guest I am. You know what I mean? Just tear out of the driveway, spin the wheels, knock the mailbox down. Now you could say, well, Pastor Daniel... You know, you're just a kooky guy and you really need to learn how to drive. But, you know, I love you, so don't worry about the mailbox, right? You forgave my horrible driving, but you still had to pay and use your energy and time and resources to fix the mailbox. Or you could be, oh, Pastor Daniel, you mean you were just driving crazy and you need to fix my mailbox, right? Either way, in order for the transgression that I committed against your poor mailbox... In order for that to be reconciled, somebody's got to pay. And what the gospel teaches us is that in order for forgiveness to happen, God paid the price. He said, look, you can't afford it. You don't have the means, the energy, the ability to pay the price. So listen, I'm going to pay it for you. All I'm asking for you to do is say thank you and respond to it. If you're in here today, and I'm sure there's a number of us, watching online later, if you're harboring unforgiveness, what I want to encourage you to do is say, God, I need you to help me understand the depth of your forgiveness. And Lord, as I receive your forgiveness, help me to pass it along to people who've hurt me, who've harmed me. Because notice what it says. God has mercy. He keeps mercy for thousands. He forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And, and when you see things like that in the Bible where you have these three words, some people wanted to compartmentalize sin. It's a Hebrew way of saying the totality of things that have been done wrong. When you see three things lined up, it's saying, look, God has forgiven the breath of all the ways that people can screw up. And that's a beautiful thing. Because I know there's some of you in here today right now, God has forgiven you, but you're struggling to receive his forgiveness because you can't forgive yourself. And if that's you today, if you're in here today and you're saying, look, that's all fine and well, I cannot receive God's forgiveness. I have done too many things wrong. I'm going to quote my pastor, John Henry Corcoran, who I love so much. He said it to me this way. He's like, Daniel, if God has forgiven your sin, who do you think you are to remember it still? And that's a strong word and I needed to hear it. But I think that's for some of us in here today. If God, the almighty the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh Eloheinu, the covenant and merciful God, the just God, if he's willing to forgive your sins, who do you think you are to remember it? That's the height of self-idolatry to say, well, God can forgive me, I won't accept it. No, no, no. He's already taken care of it 
for you at the cross. So receive his, forgive yourself because he has. And, and say, Lord, bring me down deep into this so that I can pass along forgiveness. I can pass it along. And not only that, notice what he says, by no means clearing the guilty. Now notice that. This is God's justice right there. It's beautiful. He's forgiven everybody. Merciful, by no means clearing the guilty. There it is. This is why salvation in the name of Jesus is so important. Because if you are not willing to accept God's forgiveness, then he still holds you accountable. He will not clear you unless you say, hey, I'm, I want in on that Jesus thing. So if you choose to willfully reject Jesus, you will not be cleared of all the mistakes that you've made. You make a choice. Do I want the free get-out-of-jail-free card? Do I want the free pass on my mistakes? Or do I want to try and work it out on my own? And if you choose the latter, that is between you and God. But you are saying the most illogical, insane thing. But if you're, if you're saying, well, I'm going to do it by myself. It's just not logical. And I think for me as a seeker, long before I ever became a Christian, I started grappling with that. I mean, am I really going to try and work through my existential malaise of what a life is and all the mistakes that I've been? Am I really going to try and work through it by clearing my mind and reaching a place of no mind? I mean, is that, that's one option. Am I going to choose not to eat certain foods, hoping that my dietary choices is going to bring me to a higher plane? Am I really going to do that? Am I just going to try and provide for a wife and kids and family and think that that's acceptable? Or am I going to accept what is an absolute gift of the Almighty God? And if you really sit down and, and process through it, you start thinking to yourself, you know, it's pretty nuts that I'm rejecting Jesus. Like, it's nuts. Straight loco. Listen, if you're here and, and you're still working through it, I really want you to do a pro and con sheet, like old school. Like, if I accept Jesus, what do I get? If I reject him, what do I get? And, and, and do it for all the different ways you think you can get saved. And I guarantee when you, when you weigh them all out, just straight old school, this is the pluses, this is the minuses, you're going to say, man, believing in Jesus is the best thing. It's the most logical, and it's the best way because it's God's way. And, it, and what's beautiful it has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with who the Lord is. So if you are not willing to receive the forgiveness of God, then you're not going to be cleared of your guilt. And if you look at your life, you know that you're guilty. We all are. Every single one of us, except Jesus Christ, stand guilty before God. Because he's perfect and we are so not. And I feel totally comfortable saying that because I realize I've probably done infinitely more things than all of you combined. I've been around the block more times than most people. And I realize how far short I've fallen. So I feel really comfortable being like, hey, I can lead the way. We need Jesus. Because he's perfect and we're not. And then finally, notice, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Now, this is a Semitic or a Hebraic expression of continuance, which means we live in a world full of legacies. Now, that does not mean that your dad's sin you are responsible for, because the Bible, from cover to cover, makes it clear that everyone's responsible for their own life. But you know if your dad was angry, there's probably a good chance that you're angry. 
If your mother was an alcoholic, the prevalence of alcoholism in their children is significantly higher. That's just statistics. You, whatever becomes your normal, there is a much higher prevalence in you. And so what that means is that in a world of legacies, because we are socialized by our parents, if you embrace the lifestyle of your parents, you're going to get the same things that they received. And the beauty of the Christian gospel is that you get a new parent. You get a new parent. Your heavenly father did not make all the mistakes that your parents made. And you get a new father, and that father teaches you a new way to be. A new way to be. So whatever your parents were or weren't, you say, Lord, that was a teaching ground, but you are my heavenly father. And I want you to teach me a new way to be. But these legacies are real. And if you walk out the mistakes of your parents, you will receive the same things that they received. And the beauty is, is the gospel just cuts it off. It just cuts it off. So there's the name of God, the nature of God, real quick like. Now notice what happens in verse 8. So Moses made haste, bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Look at that. The elements of God's character was so striking that it totally had an effect on Moses. He made haste. He hurried up. When we come into the presence of God, we hurry up to worship. And he bowed his head. That's, a, that's an expression of humility, a bowing down before, and he worshiped. And I want to encourage you, listen, when God does something rad in your life, when God reveals himself, make haste and bow your head and worship. Don't be afraid just to be like, Lord, you are crazy. That's how I worship God. That's me. I'm like, Lord, you are so crazy. Because he is crazy some, for me, you know? You are such a wild person, Lord. I mean, I would never have done it that way, but this is awesome. Because you know what happens when you're a worshiper? Life becomes just a blast. Because you just see God move and you're like, yeah, whoa, oh yeah, Lord. I remember this one time, oh, this is a great story. I'll throw myself under the bus. I remember one day, I, I was living in the Bay Area the first time. So this was, I was an assistant pastor. I was probably 22 years old. I remember I was walking down 4th Street in San Rafael, right in the North Bay, north of San Francisco. And man, and I was just walking, and the Lord was just blowing my mind. He was doing so much work in my heart and through my heart, and I was just having a blast. And so I had like a little strut on, because I was just like walking in the, like, I'm in the presence of the Lord, it's great, you know? And I was just having such a blast. I, I mean, people thought I was loco, but I didn't mind. You know what I mean? Because God's so good. And I was, I was right in front of, of a bus stop, and I face planted straight up. Just like, bam! You know? And I remember, and you know what happens if you're walking, there's all these people there in your face plant, right? You feel like a knucklehead. But you know what's amazing? I was so busy praising the Lord. I got up, I was like, ha ha, you guys see me? I just wiped out! And I just went to, you know? And it was just like, it didn't even matter. It didn't, like, yeah, I had road burn. It didn't matter. And I know later all those people like, did you see that guy? That guy was crazy. I mean, he was laughing. He thought it was so funny. He just looked stupid. And I'm just like, yeah, Jesus! Now, why do I say that? Because some of us are just, we need to worship because we're just too grumpy. Jesus is In order for transgression to be reconciled, someone has to pay. That's what Pastor Daniel explained as he spoke about the gospel and how to understand the depth of God's forgiveness. 
It's necessary for us to know so that we can also forgive others. We know that God doesn't need our money, but He uses our finances to help further His kingdom. We want to invite you to partner with us and help expand God's kingdom through Jesus is Real Radio. Your monthly or one-time gift will allow us to continue to grow our radio ministry in other parts of the world, sharing the life-changing experience of knowing that Jesus is real. Simply log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and select Partner from the main menu. Pastor Daniel covered quite a bit in today's message. Perhaps you'd like to review? You can listen to today's message again by logging on to JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just select today's date from the media player. Another way to get in contact with us is by email. The address is info at JesusIsRealRadio.com. By far, the best way to stay current with everything that you hear on Jesus Is Real Radio is to subscribe to the podcast. Subscribing is easy. Just follow the link at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will encourage us to get out of our grumpiness and just worship God. We'll hear about Moses' meeting with God full of reverence and enthusiasm for the Father. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Tabernacle. Until then, may God bless. It's no typical journey we walk on a narrow trail.